right. Well, we are continuing our slow reading and study of the book of Mark. And we're in chapter 1, and as you can see from the screen, we're on verse 29 through 34. It seems to me that the, the theme of this passage and what I will be trying to to deal with, to interact with, is the power of Jesus, controlled by his love. Uh, he, he's the perfect example of unlimited power and a perfect love, perfect mercy, perfect kindness. Yes, he has power kindness. And it seems to me that on the opposite end of the spectrum, as I, I think about this, I think the Bible says we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. To be a human being is to be genetically cursed and genetically sinful. Uh, you know, is there a you know, genetic connection to sin? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's what the Bible teaches. Because we inherited the genes of, of Adam, and we are therefore sinful, and we sin, and we're therefore sinful. Uh, it's not a happy thought, as I don't, I don't want to be glib about it, but it's the reality. It's the, it's the only way you can understand the world, actually. You know, how in the world are we getting this mess? Well, uh, we're all sinful, and that's uh, exactly why Jesus Christ came, because we need huge, divine powerful and loving intervention. But it seems to me that all sin is uh, this selfishness in us is an abuse of those two ideas of power and love. We, we have authority and power in little ways. Maybe our authority and power is just freedom, just free time. Maybe that's, that's all, you know, that's all we have left. Just to the freedom to do nothing. Uh, but, but we also have influence and power over people. We don't have unlimited power. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, our damage is, is, is horrible, but thank God it's not uh, infinite. But we, we sin when we use our power in a non-loving way. And so... Those are the two concepts I want to think about. And, and then how do we respond to this Jesus who is revealed as powerful and, and loving? So last week we looked at um, an amazing event where Jesus went into the synagogue, which is, you know, kind of like our church. I mean, I hate to say that because it's clearly not the church, the church, but it's kind of like our church, the Jews always would go on the Sabbath day uh, to the synagogue. Actually, the word means to gather together, to come together. It's a gathering place. Um, and it was the habit of Jesus his entire life to go every Sabbath to the synagogue. And he, he makes no exception. He goes to the synagogue. And uh, yet this day is, is different because all those other times he he didn't stand up and teach. 
<laughs> I mean, just honestly, just step, step back and think about this. This is the God of the universe who's the word of God. He knows everything. He knows what, what everybody else is thinking in the synagogue. He knows who's sinful in what way. And he, you know, he knows. He has the information, right? But he, he, it's not God's time for him to start speaking. That's just phenomenal. But he starts speaking. And when he opens his mouth, we don't know how long his speech is. It's some period of time. Uh, but the people are just astounded. The word is they were just shocked. They were like whacked out of their senses. It's a very strong Greek word. Uh, where See there in verse 22. They were astonished at his teaching. And, and the verb tenses here is, it, it's, indicates that it was a continual thing. All the time he was speaking, they were just astonished. So Jesus comes into the synagogue, and uh, this group of people had probably been meeting in this Capernaum synagogue for a very long time. And, and it says, and there was a guy in there uh, that uh, responded violently to the word of God to Jesus. When Jesus comes in and, and the word is clear and plain, then there's violent opposition to Jesus. And the, the guy stands up and denounces him. And actually, we find out that there's another entity in this person. Again, it's not really heavily speculative. I'll grant you it might be a little bit speculative, meaning that it says immediately there was in their synagogue. This is my speculation. I really believe that this guy was a part of the synagogue <laughs> and it attended there all the time. And unfortunately, their Bible teaching had gotten so layered over the years and they were so afraid to speak God's truth boldly. Uh, they were the scribes and they were basically, we actually know this from history, their teaching was always citing other human scribes and layering it on opinions, always this opinion versus this opinion, you know, on the other hand, but on the other hand. Um, and Jesus got to the point was, there is no other hand <laughs> going to the fiddler on the roof, you know. The, the bold truth of Jesus is, this is it. Um, so anyway, it's interesting that there is this violent opposition to the word of God. The word of God brings division. Actually, you know what Jesus said? I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. So Jesus himself is divisive. He didn't come just to, you know, hey, let's just all, what's that word? Let's go along to get along. Or let's get along to go along. Either way you play it, same idea. Let's just not make waves. Let's just have everybody happy. We don't want to... Let's water this thing so down that no one's ever offended, right? No, that wasn't Jesus. He's boldly speaking. They're astonished. And it brings out the resident evil in this man. And he's violently opposed to Jesus. And he denounces him. Verse 24. What have you come to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? He knows about Jesus. Have you come to destroy us? The us is probably the hordes of demons. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Uh, by the way, the, the, I made a point of this last week, that word, he cried out. 
is is onomatopoetic for like a croaking sound that a, a raven makes. So it was like this really creepy experience for all these people. Like here's this guy, we thought we knew him, and he stands up and starts making these gross croaking sounds and he denounces this powerful Jesus whom we're all astonished uh, at what he's teaching. So it was a very, very startling experience, right? The whole thing. Uh, and, then, and then Jesus shows his power. He rebukes him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him. Uh, one of the other uh, gospels tells us that it knocked him to the floor, uh, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice. There's just more of this croaking sound coming out of this individual. Crying out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Um, they were all amazed, so they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this? A new teaching with authority? Yeah, this authority, he, he is the authority. Jesus is the word. He doesn't depend on some outside force. It's not may the force be with him. He is the force. He is the truth. Uh, very important to know that this is his identity. Hmm? So uh, with this new teaching with authority, he commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. I mean, who does that? How can you do that? Somebody with, with power. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So last week, I pointed out that there's this wonderful wordplay, probably intended by Mark. And let me just throw this out. It's, it's definitely speculation. This is definitely speculation, okay? Can I speculate a little bit? Sure, Nate, go ahead. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Remember, Mark is writing after being... Uh, immersed in Peter, and he was Peter's translator. He would travel with Peter, and he heard Peter teach over and over and over and over and over again. And this is Peter's story. Peter was there. John Mark was not there. Peter was there. And by the way, this is Peter's town. So he, he knew this place. And so I kind of wonder if this might be a, a, the remnant of a little outline that Peter had. That's total speculation, but kind of a cool idea. Anyway, yeah. Anybody like that idea? I'm thinking of selling it. <laughs> no, but, but here's, the, here's the cool little possibility, the, the, the wordplay, because it says, um, verse 21, he entered the synagogue. That, that's ace elphone. He came into the synagogue, Jesus did. And then uh, down in verse 26, his XL thing, when he denounced the demon, the demon came out. So Jesus comes in, the demon is cast out, Jesus displaces resident evil. You, you want to get rid of more evil in your life? Get more of Jesus. You know, hallelujah. It's, the Bible says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I say this to myself, too. And there's that also that image, in the, it's in the book of Revelation. Jesus standing at the door, knocking. And you know that's written to a church. Jesus is, ex is excluded from the church. <laughs> He's excluded from our lives. Anyway, 
So when he comes in, the demon goes out, and then he uses the same word. I don't know why, you know, in English they just didn't like it, verse 28. Verse 28, once his fame went out, XL fame. It's just like the demon went out. Same exact word. So ASL fame, Jesus comes in. Can't you see like a little three and a half point outline here from Peter? Anyway, Jesus comes in, demon goes out, and then in, in the, if let's say the, the, the house is us, we start to praise Jesus. We start to spread his fame. I, you know, I've seen, I've experienced the power of Jesus Christ. So it was an amazing, exciting synagogue that day. You know, I'm sure everybody there said, oh, I'm so glad I didn't stay in bed today. You know, I had a cold. My nose was running, but I came anyway. And I was there when this happened. You know, isn't that, isn't that kind of cool? Anyway, so now we pick up the story. That's the context. Verses 29 through 34. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon, that's Peter, and his brother Andrew, the house of Simon and Andrew, with James and John. These are the two. So these four who'd just been called earlier on in this chapter, they're together, and they traipse into Peter's house in Capernaum. And by the way, this is a picture of what they believe is Peter's house. It might be. I don't know. It's in Capernaum. This is a massive structure they've built over it, like a huge museum, basically, over it. Um, Anyway, so that's a possibility uh, that that was his house. They think it might be because it it was added on to later, and there was probably a church that met there. And they found several of these around where a little house... They start adding on to it because churches were meeting in houses, basically a new synagogue, a new place to meet. Anyway, so they come to the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever. And the Greek for fever is burning, you know, it's the word for fire. So one good commentator says Simon's mother-in-law in law had been down for some time, burning up with fever. She's very sick, and of course they have no antibiotics. They don't even understand uh, disease at all. Uh, you know, and we're still trying to work on that, right? But they surely don't. Um, she's laid up in this bed, and she is feverish, very, very ill. Also, I'm not. This isn't a part of the sermon, but it's sort of interesting. Simon's mother-in-law. Peter, what does that mean? He was, he was married. He had a wife, absolutely. Um, and that's referred to later on. Paul refers to that. He says, hey, don't I have the right to have a wife like Peter does? It's in 1 Corinthians, uh, I think, 9.5. Anyway, just an interesting side point. So there they are. And, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her. And she began to serve them. This amazing, wonderful miracle. Powerful. That evening, power and love and, and mercy. You know, 
That evening at sundown, okay, this you know, code word, the, the, the Sabbath is over, and this little Jewish town comes back to life. They've all been hanging low, can't do work, but now it says that evening at sundown, that's when the Sabbath is over, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city, look at verse 33, the whole city was gathered together at the door. Maybe a slight hyperbole, but it's saying there's this massive crowd. Not a big city either. I don't know how many people live there, but you know, there's this massive crowd outside this door of, of Peter's little house there. So what's Jesus going to do? Verse 34, And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Now, Matthew records the same thing and says he, he healed all who were sick and cast out all those who had demons. So Mark is just saying there were a lot of them, not just three or four. A whole bunch of these amazing healings occurred and demon possessions were uh, he cast out many, many demons. Threw them out, cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So that's our text for today. Let me open with prayer. Father, in your kindness, O Lord, we just acknowledge that you brought us together today. Um, this, This congregation, we humbly come to you and ask that you would bless your word to our hearts. Open our hearts, our minds to hear what you're saying to us today. Through Jesus Christ alone, amen. Okay, so first I want to just start with the, the idea that uh, the mother-in-law is sick. Um, the Bible, again, never tells us that godly people won't have problems. Not, not at all. I mean, it's not like, not like she deserved this. She was a specially bad mother-in-law. She was that, that mother-in-law. <laughs> no, she was not. We don't know anything about her. Uh, but the fact is, trials and tribulations are ahead for all of us. And, and uh, God uses them. They are, they are opportunities for God to show his power and love in our lives. And we're actually supposed to, uh, you know, Understand these things, accept them, work, work through them, and allow God to use these difficulties to improve us. That's why he's giving us these trials and tribulations. This is actually a beautiful, beautiful thing because it, it, we come to a Bible that says God is sovereign. He's the, the Lord of all. He, nothing happens by accident. He specifically planned it all, and it's for our benefit it takes the randomness out of life, and it even takes this absurd evil, you know, that like anything bad can happen to me at any time. Like I, I should live in morbid fear because anything bad can happen to me at any time. Christians shouldn't live there. The Bible says, no, you cast your anxiety on the Lord. You trust in Him. He has planned it all, and all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. So we have the mother-in-law sick, and and here she has this opportunity uh, to have the great physician 
visit her, come to her bedside. What, would she say, man, I was glad I was really that sick? I think she would, wouldn't she? <laughs> After this, all was said and done, she'd say, that was the best thing ever, <laughs> that, that Jesus came to heal me. Uh, it was, I learned so much about Jesus because of my illness. I really leaned into him. I really got close. I grew spiritually because I was sick. That, not that day, but for some period of time, probably facing death. Uh, let's pull in uh, some context here of, of other, other verses in the Bible. Uh, last week we read Psalm 115, 2 and 3. And it says this, Why should the nations say, Where is their God? So pause there and, and think. This is the charge against believers. They say, look at, look at evil. Look at, there's, you know, Peter's mother-in-law. She's sick. Where's your God? Look at her. She shouldn't be having that illness. If God is real, if God is powerful and loving, she shouldn't be sick. Children shouldn't die. Babies shouldn't be born uh, broken. Where's your God? So the Bible deals with that. How does it deal with it? It says this, our God, if you want to know where he is, He's in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. So this is what he pleases to do. We have to trust him. Psalm 135, verse 6 says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth. Uh, at a very key point in the life of Jesus, it was, and it's recorded in Matthew chapter 11, He's facing tons of rejection. He's poured his life into preaching and teaching in three towns. I mean, he's doing miracles and teaching and preaching, and he got just total rejection from them. He pronounces woe on them. John the Baptist is going really badly. He's in prison. He won't be released from prison. And uh, anyway, long story short, he, Jesus stops to pray at the end of this. It's Matthew 11. Oh, well, let's turn there. We have plenty of time because this is the Word of God, and it's so awesome. I want you to see this. If you see nothing else, Matthew 11, in this context of depression, things going badly, one thing, I, oh, no, you know, it's like, what do they say, bad things come in threes. It's that kind of situation. It's like really rotten, bad. And Jesus is the perfect example of what it means to be somebody who truly depends on God the Father. And I just love it. Verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, hmm? powerful statement. I'm not going to whine and complain and just think about how depressed I am or think about how unfair it is. I'm not going to think about any of those things. Right now it says, at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. And what does he call him? Lord of heaven and earth. That's the biblical teaching of who God is. He's not just the God of heaven running something going on up there, but he's the God of, of your life. He's the God of my life. He's the God of the molecules, the moments, the all. 
And that's what Psalm 135, 6 says as well. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. And uh, I love Daniel 4, just a little bit out of Daniel 4. It says, all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven. And let's, you know, let's give God that. He runs the stars and he runs heaven. But down here, it's chaotic and randomness occurs. And there's a lot of uh, you know, things that we just don't know. Anything could happen at any time. It's pretty crazy. Is, is that a theistic point of view? <laughs> is that a biblical view of God? It is not. No, because why? Because this is what the Bible says. He says, among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. So it wasn't just bad luck that the mother-in-law was ill or that the man had the demon or that we've run into difficult situations, or that God's put us into a, a, the huge challenging that, that is actually overwhelming to us. By the way, there's this myth that the Bible says, God will never give you something uh, that you cannot handle. But that's baloney, okay? The Bible never says that. In fact, truthfully, if we just wake up, we realize we can't handle anything. <laughs> you know, I, I can't match my socks. I mean, <laughs> you know, what, what, what am I saying is the best place to be is, Lord God, you are the Lord of heaven and earth. I trust you. And yes, I know I'm, I'm really sad that mom is ill, but I trust you. And it's not a random act of evil. It's your will, and, and that's why we come to you in prayer to ask you to please deliver, Mom. Please, Lord God. You are the, the Lord, and it says, He does according to His will among the host of heaven. This is Daniel 4.35. Amongst the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Nobody's ever going to say, God, you sit down right here. You tell me what you've done. <laughs> you've made a mess of things. We've been trying to run this organization, and what have you done? <laughs> right? Nobody can do that. And yes, you know what? <laughs> thousands upon thousands upon millions, perhaps billions of people are doing that every day of their life. They're saying, God... Where are you? Where is their God? And secondly, what have you done if you are God at all? So we find this all intertwined in this story. Trials and tribulations are planned by God and they are coming our way. My most favorite verse in the Bible is Ephesians 1.11. And it says, in him... We have obtained an inheritance. You know, I don't deserve an inheritance. It comes to me by the work of somebody else. Hallelujah. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Okay, so there we, we've got the problem. 
mom is sick. And I'm, I'm telling you that the Bible tells us that that's not random. It's actually the will of God. And it's an opportunity for those around mom to trust God. It's an opportunity for them to bring their requests to Jesus. They told him about her. And, and then Jesus shows his power and his mercy. Let me move through this really quickly. I've, I've, I've said this is what this text is about. I'm pretty sure it, it's amazing power. <laughs> he, he, you, you don't heal a sick person by grabbing them by the hand and getting them out of their bed. Like, I'm a hospital chaplain. I've been a hospital chaplain for uh, 34 years or something like that. And I've never tried that, okay? You know, I go into ICU, we don't need this, let's extubate right now, and let's pull it, they're going to be fine. <laughs> I have absolutely no power and authority to do such a thing. I actually respect the, the program, you know, and I pray that they'll be healed for sure, but I am not powerful enough to go and grab them by the hand, but Jesus is. He's El Shaddai, that's Hebrew for the, the Almighty God, El Shaddai, uh, revealed many, many times. I just put two references there, uh, many times in the Old Testament. He has all power. Not the half-powerful God, he's God Almighty. And, of course, the beautiful thing is, he's the God of mercy. Mercy. And I actually put a picture I took of the Grand Canyon there because I believe that in the flood of Noah, which re resulted in the Grand Canyon. In fact, Arizona should be called Noah's Flood State. <laughs> the deluge, it's a big drainage of the deluge. But there was mercy. Why? Because God said, I'm sick and tired of this sinful humanity. I'm going to wipe them out. But in mercy, he chose a way of salvation for, for us to have another chance knowing full well that we would be just as sinful as the other lot. <laughs> and, and knowing full well it would lead to his own son dying on the cross for our sins. But even the genetics of Jesus were on that boat, you know. But so there's mercy. God is, is loving and merciful, and he doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. And we can depend on that. We can turn to him. He has the perfect balance of power and mercy. So where does this story go with that reality? It says prayer. They, they bring uh, this need to Jesus. They just saw him denounce a demon. They know he has power. He's done other miracles before this. They know he has power. And they bring their prayers to Jesus. And I, I hit a, uh, let's see here. Oh, yeah, 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 it's here. I hit this interesting quote by Martin Luther King Jr. this week. To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. That's the way we should look at prayer. Prayer is just like, a, you know, does, does the Bible say, pray once in a while? Let's pray three times a day. Okay, you breathe three times a day. <laughs> no, we breathe constantly, and the Bible actually says, pray constantly. And we should bring our requests to God, knowing that he hears us. It's what our psalm told us. It says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he inclined his ear to me. 
Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live, Psalm 116, 1 and 2. We as believers need to practice prayer all the time. And we need to increase our prayer, increase our time of prayer. Um, I'm sorry, I'm looking at my slides here, seeing where that slide is. I have a yeah, I have a good slide later on about that. <laughs> we'll get to it. I know. Um, so we need to pray. We need to bring our requests to God. Um, Philippians 4.4 4 says this and, and following. Rejoice in the Lord. What's the next word? You all know it. Always. I, I know I preach on this all the time. It's because uh, it fits with the sovereignty of God. If God is sovereign like the Bible reveals him to be, then we should be joyful people. We are actually called to be optimistic. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's right here. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And in their own way, that's what they did. They let him know about her being sick. What happens next? He heals her in this amazing, spectacularly powerful way. Just an absolute miracle. And she's instantly healed. She doesn't need several weeks of rehab or a convalescent hospital. Uh, she's feeling great right now. She's ready to serve. And, and that's the attitude of the text. Get up and serve. God's done an amazing work in your life. What are you doing for him? You know, this is proof of his power, proof of the healing. She began to serve them. And what this actually means is she basically got busy and got the meal going. And, you know, in a, in a Jewish home, you can't do very much work on the Sabbath. So somebody had it sort of prepared ahead of time, I'm, you know, supposing. She didn't go to the refrigerator and pull something out. We know that. Uh, but they had it prepared as their normal life, and she started to serve them. And they didn't say, no, 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 sit down, sit down. You, you're just recovering. Now she was booming, ready to go in beautiful power. And then what happens next in the text? It says, read, oh, I'm on the wrong page. It says this. Remember, they be, she began to serve, and then verse 32, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. Suddenly there's this big crowd outside of the house. And, you know, if you're a pastor, a leader of a church, your, your dream is to attract a crowd. <laughs> you know, you want to preach to as many people as God brings to you, and you're hoping that's a really big number, God. Uh, we'd like to have more and more people. We'd like to have, you know, there's, we have 30,000 people in Monterey, and the percentage of people who go to church is roughly 3 to 4% for Monterey. You know, that leaves, you know, a few percentages there. It's like 96% of the people didn't think it was at all important to gather together and hear the Word of God. So why would I like them to come? Because this is the Word of God. We need to hear the Word of God. We need to hear the truth about the Gospel. It's not about you know my ego or wishing I had a big crowd to talk to. Uh, but it's people who need Jesus, as I do, right? 
And, and I long to have an opportunity to tell them about the power and love of Jesus. But here's the beautiful thing is, I've got to trust the sovereignty of God, the, the plan and power of God. When he wants to, he draws a crowd. You know, he's, he's 30 years old. He's never drawn a crowd before. And now God releases his power and, and he draws a huge crowd. And he's going to do an amazing, powerful deed. He will show his power over all of these diseases and these demons. You might say, well, that's another thing. We'll leave that for some other time. But it's an interesting question. Why were there so many demon-possessed people in Capernaum? It says many. Maybe the other question is, do we have just as many in Monterey and Seaside? And maybe, maybe it's Sand City. No, <laughs> Any town. I mean, we, honestly, maybe it's bigger problem than we think, right? It's just labeled differently or hidden very well. But it's kind of an interesting thing to speculate. I said, that's for another sermon. Here's this expectant crowd, and, and Jesus has this unlimited power. He just demonstrates amazing power. This is also interesting observation, I think, here. I believe in the all-powerful God. And the Bible tells me that he spoke the world into existence. Massively powerful. Unbelievably powerful. Honestly, try to create an organelle inside of a single cell. Let's try to create one that's self-propagating, self-healing, and works so well for so long. Humanity could not do that. You know, we create some really neat cell phones, watches, computers, airplanes. You know, we create amazing stuff, but it it doesn't compare to one tossable organelle inside one single cell of us. I dare you. That's the truth. Let's just face the truth. That is the truth. God's amazingly powerful. It's gorgeously powerful. Um, And that's what the Bible says. He commanded and it stood still. It's the sound of his voice. So here's my point. You know what? He could have let off like an electromagnetic wave. And everybody on the whole earth could have been healed like that. I believe that. That's the truth. He could have. That's how this has unlimited power. He doesn't choose to do that. It's interesting to me. Who got healed? Those that came to Jesus. He could have healed them automatically, but those who were brought or who came, who asked, that's the people who received. And Jesus said that. If you knock, the door will be opened. If you seek, you will find. If you ask, you shall receive. And I think this is an illustration of that. All of these people who came got their healing. And it's this beautiful power of Jesus revealed and in his will to call us each to himself. Okay, I'm going to sum it up here. This is what I'm trying to talk about today. Power and love and our response to it. We already looked at this verse. This is what... Sorry, could you reveal me there? Something happened back there. I got two more slides and we're done. I promise. Rejoice always. You know, this 
powerful, loving God calls us to trust Him enough to actually rejoice always. We all need to repent constantly of not rejoicing always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. That only makes sense if God is utterly sovereign. Why would you thank Him for something that He had nothing to do with? We thank Him because it's all His will. And He has a plan and purpose for it all. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We didn't already look at that verse. We looked at a very simple verse. We looked at Philippians 4. This is 1 Thessalonians 5. Okay, so that's the word of God, and this is, this is my, my final response to that. Since he has all power and mercy and has promised to hear us and has commanded us to, and these are a few of the commands, and you could take the bottom one, worship. That's really summing up all of this. What, what does God want us to do? Worship him and know him and love him and trust him. We show our worship by believing. Believe that Jesus is your Savior. Believe that he is the sovereign God. Believe that when the Bible says he's the Lord of heaven and earth, he really is the Lord of heaven and earth. And, and not what other people are saying. What have you done? Where is your God? We believe in him. And so we should, that should leave us to, lead us to pray. Real prayer. We should ask for healing. We should bring our requests. The Bible says, bring your requests. Sometimes we layer it all, you know, uh, if this is your will, if it is your will. Okay, that's a good attitude, but let's just be a little more bold in prayer. You know, bring your requests. What do you want from Jesus? He says, ask whatever you want in my name and you shall receive it. And we're way too polite and layered. I think if he has all power and mercy and he's commanded us to pray, we should be people of real prayer. Pray and serve, just like the unnamed mother-in-law. She got up and served. I'm saved to serve. That's why I'm here. What can I do for you? And then worship him. So that's what he's commanded us to do. Let us obey him. Father, please, in your grace, give us your Holy Spirit to give us the power to obey you, to believe, oh Lord. I pray that there may be some people here who have never really believed in Jesus Christ really for their sin and never really cast themselves and called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Cast themselves at your feet to receive your mercy and kindness and forgiveness of sins. I pray in your kindness that you'll open up their hearts come to Jesus right now and admit their sinfulness. Come and say, I need Jesus to be my Savior, uh, to be my Redeemer, to buy me out of slavery. Help us to believe, Lord. Help us to pray. Help us to serve. Help us to worship you with our whole lives. That's our prayer, O Lord Jesus. Receive our worship only in the name of Jesus. Amen.